Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. Hi, I'm Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. Man, I'm kicking it today, boy. Matt's got some oh, power over there. Yeah, welcome to West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak Brand Camo and the Gamekeeper Studio, and one excited Mac Thatcher. Yeah, he's proud to be here today. Mac, Matt. Absolutely. Mac, Mac. Yeah, and he's not texting for one time. It's food plot season. He's over there working a whole lot. <laughs> we had somebody call in and ask for Mac Mac today. Yeah. Yeah, starting to make a name for yourself there, Mac Mac. I know, I guess so. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, good for you, Mac. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, low bar right there. Yes. <laughs> so I'm excited about today's episode. We've got, uh, we've got. This is our first international guest. It is. We've ever Does had. Does he speak so, English? Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to find a out. Dialect. So, it's a yeah. certain dialect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've actually got two folks in here. So Daniel Hayes is sitting over here, but Daniel. Uh, Daniel's sure, not a guest. He's not a guest. <laughs> you know, he's kind of he's he. Well, he, every time I look up, he's kind of around here in some That's shape, good. form, That's or fashion. Good. That is good. But we've got Michael Hunter from Toronto, Canada. The right. Hunter Chef. Yeah. And I will say, too, Michael's not a guest. He is a, a family member of the Moscow family for sure. Uh, I don't know how long. How many years have you been coming down now? I think six. Oh, boy. Six years. It's awesome stuff. Yeah. So. It's becoming more frequent every year. The visits. Good. You got to get spring, fall, summer, yeah. all the visits in. Yeah, we're eyeing some, some little properties now, so. Get a, a vacation <laughs> home in Clay County. Oh, I love this. Yeah, you know, that's exciting. Well, I got a little tribute to Michael. I just wanted to hit to welcome him. I wanted to play this real what quick. What you got? Oh, goodness. Is that Celine Dion? He loves Celine Dion. <laughs> he loves Adele and Celine Dion. Well, we wanted to make you feel welcome. Thank what, you. What, was, what, was, what was that? What was that? Yeah. That's our national anthem. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's called O Canada. Well, that makes it's sense. It's usually the second song they play at the hockey games. Ah. What's the first? The, after the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Very disrespectful that he knows the Star Spangled Banner, but y'all don't know O Canada. Well, I won't forget. <laughs> well, I've spent a lot of time here. My dad lives uh, lived in California. Now he's in Arizona. Um, so I spent a lot of time in the U.S. So growing up was my a whole life. He's a hybrid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm honorary. He's, he's trying to get into the elite category of Canadians who own property in Northeast Mississippi. <laughs> hey, man, I bet there's very few of those. <laughs> well, I look, can't wait for you to get down here. I just can't. So. We've got so much to talk about. Michael is a big hunter. Yes. You know, and that's one thing that's real exciting about you. But you're a world-class chef. 
And you really kind of focus and target on wild game, if, if I've got that correctly. And you've yep. got a fantastic restaurant there in Toronto, which if you're ever in Toronto, I would say it's a must-see. Yes, sir. Antler Restaurant. That's us. It is. I've, I've got to go up there and, and eat with Jody and Allie and Michael, and it was the, eating a lot of wild game in my uh, years. Yes, and it have. is, without a doubt, the best meal I've ever had. I doubt there's better game anywhere in North America. Oh, wow. Man, I got to get up there. Yeah. It's definitely on my bucket list, too. Mine, too. And that's called the Antler. Uh, it's called Antler. Yeah, just Antler, Antler Restaurant, or we go uh, our Instagram and Facebook and stuff is Antler Kitchen Bar. <laughs> that's a great name because I don't think I've ever seen another. Yeah, and his name is really Michael Hunter. I got well, lucky I figured on that, that. I didn't yeah. figure you had taken on some kind of pen name. I still, I mean, that's just great. Yeah, it People is. People do ask me once in a while. It's kind of funny. They think, you know, is that your real name? Is that your pen name? Yeah. That's my name. Yeah, we've also got a Hunter McCool. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty it. neat. Yeah, also yeah, have name. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, where do we start, Michael? What's uh, what's, what's your story? You know, is so um, wide. Where do you where do you think we need to start? I love, so, I'd love you to tell your story. You yeah. Uh, so I, I'm a chef first before uh, I got into hunting, um, at least for food. Anyway, I grew up on a horse farm uh, outside the city, about an hour north of uh, you know the biggest city in in Canada. But it was a uh, like a rural farm. I think we had like 40, 50 acres, something like that, a horse barn. Um, my mom rode, you know, English saddle, did some hunter jumper horse show kind of things. And then, um, her background is English. So she, uh, was involved in a fox hunting club, uh, on horseback with the hounds. Um, and it was just more of a traditional sport thing. You know, they, they weren't successful all the time. And, and, um, what they would mainly hunt where I'm from is coyotes. Um, there's a huge problem with coyotes right now. They're really overpopulated. Um, you know, fur trading is down, all this stuff. People aren't predator hunting as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, the hunt club would be called, you know, farmers would call them, uh, you know, just people that don't want them on the property would call them. Um, so that was my intro- introduction to hunting. You know, no one in my family that I knew uh, hunted for food or hunted deer or turkey or whatever. So um, I didn't actually start uh, hunting for food until I was 18. And by that point, um, I had been working in restaurants for a couple of years. I got my first job when I was 13 years old, uh, just in a diner, like a local diner, flipping eggs. And I think I started like buttering toast and dropping hash browns and doing the, yeah. the like, uh, you know, lackey kind of just helping out chores and dishes and stuff like that. And then um, I just took an interest in food. I, I liked the restaurant uh, sort of industry. You know, it was busy and fun and young people. And it's, it's a really fun uh, social environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just think from there, I, I just was really becoming interested, uh, about food and, you know, from this diner, I went to a golf club and then from the golf club, I ended up working at a small fine dining restaurant. And, um, and that's where the, you know, the, I really just became interested about how things were made and, you know, how to make pasta and how to make bread. And, um, you know, I like, I loved all the old traditions of food and learning about, you know, canning tomato sauce and, you know, canning peaches and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, and, and just the history behind, you know, this is what people did before they had a fridge, you know? Um, and then, uh, I watched the documentary food Inc and it had mm-hmm. a real big impact on me. I learned about, you know, factory farming and, um, you know, all animals were given antibiotics in their feed, whether they needed it or not. And it was causing problems with, and, you know, with, with humans having resistance to antibiotics and things like that. And I just kind of made a decision that I wanted to eat a more natural diet. Um, and then from there, 
this is all kind of happening when I was around 18. A family friend took me hunting for turkeys. And uh, in Canada, in Canada, y'all have turkeys in Canada. We have Bobby's <laughs> there, yeah, he's on the way. And where I live, there's there's like a there's like a really interesting turkey success story too, which we can get into later. But um, so as a chef, then turkey hunting, having this amazing uh, turkey experience for my first hunt, uh, it was really seeing and tasting the difference between wild turkey. And then the turkey I saw at Christmas and Thanksgiving growing up, I just couldn't believe the difference between the two. And uh, I thought, you know, I don't want to eat farm-raised anything. I just want to eat wild game. And that's that's how all this. And the hunter chef was born. Yeah. <laughs> there he was. Yeah. And they have turkeys in Canada. That's yeah. how you think about it. So that's a whole other discussion which we yeah. can talk about. Sounds like really we're going to Canada. Bobby, you know yeah. Toronto is further south than a whole lot of... United States population. Well, no, I hadn't thought about that. that. There's that like this, yeah, this little like kind of peninsula <laughs> leg almost that dips down into like Buffalo and beside Michigan. Okay. Kind of, but, uh, but yeah, so the turkeys were extinct in Ontario, the province where I live. Uh, I forget the years. It was either the 60s or 70s. There were, you know, there was no more. And Ontario, I think, traded moose with Michigan for turkeys. And if I remember correctly, I don't think any of the moose survived, but uh, the turkeys, our turkeys, took our turkeys took hold. A good trade. And uh, <laughs> when I first started hunting turkeys, <laughs> the moose migrated back. Yeah. Yeah. When I first started hunting turkeys in the early 2000s, it was very strict. There was strict times. You had to take your harvest into a reporting station with your tag and everything. Like mm-hmm. you could only hunt till noon. Um, it was really, really interesting. And then now there's, uh, you know, they've dropped a lot of the restrictions. You can shoot two birds, um, a year kind of thing. So Good they've deal. introduced a fall season. So it's a, it's a real, uh, conservation success story. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. That's right. But it's really research. It's, it's a, it's a neat, uh, yeah, story. we'll have to look that one up. Yeah. So can I ask you to describe to our listeners, uh, I've always been confused about how crown land works and, yeah. and, and hunting access. I mean, do yeah. you hunt? Do you even have private land out in the, you know, yep. can you get into that yeah. song? Yeah. I, I, you know, from what I know, it's, it's similar to here. There's just different names for things. So, you know, you guys have your public lands. We have crown land. So, you know, and the difference between Canada and the United States is we asked politely for our freedom and you guys fought for your freedom. So, <laughs> you know, we, we have crown land. It's after the, the, you know, the queen and things like that. So, um, you know, you can hunt, fish, camp on it, everything else. You can set up a, a like a base camp, but you can only camp on it for three weeks. So then you have to move, mm-hmm. you know, half a mile down the road or something like that. But, but can you um, get like access to a chunk of crown land uh, like you're leasing it or is it just so anybody there can are, go? There's lots of uh, like instances where people have had hunt camps for generations and things like that. So there'll be crown land. You can't purchase it, but there's a hunt shack there. Um, and that's, you know. The kind of like squatters rights they've had it for so long the government has kind of just written it in as you know they can stay there i don't know if they own it or what but um so uh, you know a lot of guys will be part of a club that they've got this this cabin in the middle of nowhere that's you know 20 miles or t- sorry 20 hours away uh from toronto um in crown land and they've got their hunt camps and things like that okay and, and they like just that. hunt from there on the and they hunt from there yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so, and then, so private land, there's, there's lots of private land where, where I grew up hunting. Um, like I, said, I grew up on the horse farm, so there was, you know, deer and turkey and geese and things like that. And, uh, we hunt a lot of, uh, you know, farm, farm fields, you know, when Daniel came out to visit, we went to, uh, a, a cornfield that was uh, half an hour from the biggest city in Canada. 
uh, you know, a little bit of a slow hunt that day, and it was minus 11. It looked cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was freezing. Yeah. A lot of, and, lot of uh, snow. I yeah. think we only shot two geese that day, but uh, we had fun. So. Yeah, success. That's, That's right. what it's I all about. I hunted and came back with a lot less. Straight yeah. to the airport yeah. after that. Yeah. 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 Flying with his meat. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's very similar here. You can hunt okay. public land, private land. Um, you know, it, it, you know, you guys. I don't know what you call them, but we have. Uh, they're called WMUs, Wildlife Management Units. Yeah, WMAs. Yeah, yeah very similar to, to what you guys have, and you know, we have a lot of the similar tag systems and uh, draws. And, you apply for permits, yeah, and all that exactly. Stuff. And we got the regular, you know, deer, turkey, black bear, wolf, coyote tags. You can purchase over the counter at the hunting stores, and then your draws are for the moose. Uh, we've introduced an elk season where I live, so that's a draw. Nice. Those taste um, good. What else do we draw for? Some areas have like control, they call it a controlled hunt where there's not a lot of deer. So you still have to apply for a buck tag or a doe tag, or it's a lot of the places that are closer to the city. Um, you can only use a shotgun instead of a rifle for deer. Mm -hmm. And then some, like where I grew up, I started bow hunting because there was no gun season for deer, which is weird because you can shoot a coyote with a 270, but you can't shoot a deer with a gun of any kind. So hmm. it's a little bizarre. And I think they're, they, they, that laws was kept in for, uh, I think farmers protecting their their herd or sure, whatever sure. they're allowed to predation. Buy. Are there limits yeah. to the number of firearms that you can 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 own or keep at your house? Um, those laws are there. There's there is a, a a mention of the amount of ammunition you can have, and it says a reasonable amount or something very. Oh, great. that's completely good. So good you know, if you're a competition <laughs> sport shooter. Yeah. You know, it's common to have a flat or a skid of, you know, shot shells in your garage. But if you're not a sports shooter, that would be considered, you know, too much. So it's, it's a very gray. We have some of the strictest gun laws in the world and they're, they're very frustrating. And not a lot of them uh, make a lot of sense. So, yeah, doesn't uh, sound like it. But yeah, we could. That is a very in-depth conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if I know I, you I well enough. Over yeah. a can of worms over there. Yeah, yeah we, don't, we don't want Michael to incriminate himself on that. <laughs> no, and by the we point, know whatever he has is reasonable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 There's no question about that. Yeah. 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 yeah, Dudley, you look like you have a lot of questions. What are you, you well, want we gotta, we got to continue along the Michael Hunter story. Right. We, we, oh, haven't, right. we haven't made it yeah. past the yeah. fine we dining uh, kitchen. We haven't got to Antler yet. Yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, <laughs> turkey hunting fell in love. And then um, I had my daughter when I was really young. I was 19 when my daughter was born. So I had all this experience, you know, growing up working in restaurants. And I thought, okay, I'll just go to chef school. Yeah. Um, and uh, I did really well in school because when, you know, all the other guys that were 19, 20 were partying, I was working and going to school and raising a kid. So um, I just had this real drive to, to you know, succeed and do well and go to work and um those kids tend to do that too yeah, they do it's one or two things <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so and then yeah i wound up working you know i left the country and worked downtown toronto and just kind of worked my way through the ranks of kitchens um i really liked you know game meat and things i did um, on my own time and I, I i uh a lot of the restaurants i would work at would have you know a duck feature or a venison feature but it was it was sort of like a one-off once in a while thing um and I find even, you know, to this day, the more time I spend outside hunting, um, you know, the less time I want to spend at work, but also the, uh, just the more I, I want to cook wild game. And it was just started to, you know, like your, the Mossy Oak, uh, motto, you know, it's an obsession was really taking over. And, uh, all I wanted, to, I just wanted to cook game meat and I kept putting it on, trying to put it on menus and the owners, uh, you know, 
would let me, but they didn't really want to. And then and one of the companies where I worked at, they said, you know, we don't want to feature gay meat because we don't want uh, uh, PETA protesters outside, which was uh, <laughs> ironic. Some, yeah. yeah, some <laughs> foreshadowing into yeah. a later conversation. Um, so, yeah, I was just always wanting, you know, being told, no, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that. So That's a good uh, motivator sometimes. Yeah, and I just got to the point at that age where I was uh, wanted to open up my own uh, restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, that mixed with, uh, you know, all the game and, I, you know, I was getting into foraging and making maple syrup and these things. Um, I really inspired me to, uh, to write a cookbook. So, um, and everybody I talked to, you know, in the city, you know, hunting and foraging and stuff like that is, is uh, not very common. Mm-hmm. So everyone I talked to wanted me to take them or teach them or talk to me about it. Um, so that's what really inspired me to write a, to start working on a cookbook. And this was probably around 25 when when this started happening um so i got the idea you know my last name hunting uh i would you know call this cookbook the hunter chef cookbook sounds uh, good to you me, know, yeah. 10 years later now it's finally on shelves <laughs> <laughs> well it's a labor of love i know yeah i mean you've been down here several times working on it and, yeah. and researching and taking pictures and everything so i know yeah. you take a lot of pride in it. yeah and it was uh you know it's been a real fun uh, project for me and you know out of that I you know learned a little bit about photography and uh, just getting to spend more time in nature and you know meeting uh, new friends like yourselves is uh, you know been a real special part of that so what at what point in that what did uh, you and Jody start doing y'all's like pop-up in home dinners so it was right around I was I think 26 or 27 I'd been working just started working on the book um uh, my business partner at the at, at Antler is named uh, Jody, uh, which, uh, you know, you guys have met. He's come down here a couple of times. Um, so we're loosely related uh, through marriages. So my, how does this work? My sister married his stepbrother. So I would see his mom um, at family functions. I had met Jody once or twice. And I was telling his mom about, you know, this cookbook I was working on. Um, I had bought a camera. I was learning a little bit. Photography, uh, and Jody's a professional photographer and filmmaker. So um, she said, "Oh, well, why don't you ask Jody to help you with the photos?" And then she said, "And you know, he's also taking cooking classes at the local college, like for fun. Uh, he's interested in cooking." Um, so she, I think, I gave her my card, and uh, we just started hanging out. He, yeah. uh, he can't. I, I offered, uh, you know, in the restaurant industry, uh, a lot of people do stages, which are like uh, internships. So I, I said to him, you know, if he wanted to come in and and hang out on uh, the weekends and learn um, and hang out with us. He was welcome to. And I told him about the book and he uh, uh, offered to help me with the photography if I taught him how to cook. So it sounded like a good relationship. <laughs> yeah, it was a good trade, you know. And um, and uh, so, yeah, he, you know, he fell in love with the food part. I, I fell in love with photography and we kind of traded, you know, passions and taught each other, uh, you know, sort of the ropes of both. And, um uh, you know, we started working on, on the book and then we, we realized, you know, we w- wanted to take more photos with friends and have like dinner party type photography. Um, so we decided we, we'll have uh, we'll have a dinner and just invite our family and friends. Um, and then from there, I think we got the idea to do a wild game pop up where we'd actually sell tickets. And I was a little ignorant uh, about the laws. I, I wasn't sure. I knew there was a law that you couldn't uh, serve wild game in a restaurant because it hadn't been through federally inspected like slaughterhouses. I wasn't aware of the laws with like the Ministry of Natural Resources where you couldn't sell wild game. So uh, 
we came up with like a flyer for our dinner. We advertised that it was going to be uh, hunted and foraged by me. Uh, I think we sold like 12 tickets. Um, and then one of the, um, the largest newspapers in the city wanted to buy a ticket and write about the dinner. So we thought, you know, this is great. Um, and it was a, you know, kick-ass dinner. It was really cool. Uh, I did the charcuterie board with a, a European mount in the center and a, a terrine made of, you know, the cheek and tongue meat around it. It was like wild. It was so cool. Um, and we thought maybe this paper would write a little article or something in their magazine or newspaper. They ended up doing a two-page spread in the center of the life section with photos <laughs> nice. and all this stuff, which was amazing. And then the uh, Ministry of Natural Resources showed up to my work and wanted to have a chat with me. Um, oh, because you had actually we had forged sold. it yourself. Yeah, we'd, well, we'd hunted, I'd hunted it. So, right. Oh, I didn't um, think about that. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I had to, they said, you know, in the future, any profits would have to be donated to a, uh, a charity. And they gave me their card. And they were very nice and kind of slapped me on the wrist. And uh, I actually had to provide re receipts and show them that we didn't make a profit. It was more of like a marketing thing for this book. And, right. you know, we had rented tables and chairs and glassware and all the food. You know, there's other food costs and the wine and stuff like that. So That's what they paid we for, didn't, not the yeah, game. We man. didn't make it. Well, that's true. Yeah. We didn't make any money off yeah. of it. You yeah, know, yeah, we, we know just, all. We all know that. Yeah, we know that. Um, so anyway, they, they were actually really, they were, the, the ministry guys are really cool about it. And, um, you know, and then from there, now we've we've done events like that. We do make sure it goes to charity. And so I'm assuming your next event, you didn't have problems selling tickets. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> but uh, so that was sort of how Antler started. And, and that's when I, I had this conversation with, um, I worked for this very big corporate restaurant that was like 350 seats. Um, you know, it was this point they said, you know, hey, we respect what you do on your time off. Um, but if you're going to be talking about hunting, uh, we don't want uh, like our name mentioned in these articles. Oh, boo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> boo. Down. And that's because Thumbs I down. said, you know, we don't want PETA outside protesting because you hunt. And I was like, oh, oh okay. man. Um, but anyway, so, you know, that, you know, we started getting all this media attention around, uh, you know, we're essentially creating this brand without even really realizing it. And I exactly. uh, started getting articles written about us and what we were doing. So that's when we decided, you know, we need a home for this. Uh, uh, press that we were getting, so that's how Antler. That's how it started. To be, yeah, great name, yeah. great story. And what, when y'all <laughs> open, you talk about different popular dishes on the menu, and yeah. not being sure how receptive everyone was going to be because the when I went up there, the neighborhood that his restaurants in is it's a really cool neighborhood, but it's kind of like a you know Toronto is one of the most metropolitan areas in North America, and it's kind of like a Brooklyn-y kind of neighborhood, uh, a lot of cool restaurants and shops around. Yeah, uh, we, uh, we didn't know how, you know, an all wild game menu was going to go. Um, you know, and we, we've always had a few fish dishes, um, you know, and we only sell uh, like sustainably hook and line caught Canadian fish or, you know, really local stuff. Um, but, you know, besides that, it was all wild game, um, you know, farmed wild game. Uh, so we put a chicken on the menu, like our very first menu. And uh, we thought, you know, if someone comes on a date, and the woman yeah. doesn't want to eat this. She, you know, she can have chicken or Good he chicken. can have chicken or whatever the case is. And uh, we just ended up eating all the chicken as staff. Because <laughs> no one, everyone yeah, was coming to try, try game, which was really cool. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's, you know, the greatest feeling of success anyway, is that people like what you're doing, you know, because yeah. I don't know, this is what I like to eat. Um, yeah. So it was really, uh, you know, satisfying. 
So I've seen some photos somewhere of the restaurant, and it's such a really looks like such a unique, interesting dining experience. Just the whole atmosphere, it just looks like we're small. We're like the size of the studio. It it looks like home. You're at home. It's just so comfortable. Yeah, that's what we you know we purposely designed it like that, and also uh, you know uh, we opened on a very small budget. Um, But there there was decisions that we made that wanted to keep it uh, feeling you know casual and, and homey. You know the you know, we had a conversation. Do we redo the floors? And then they're going to be shiny and sparkly and look new. And that's kind of, it was a uh, like a neighborhood type spot. And mm-hmm. so we decided, no, we'll keep the wood floors that were there and maybe, you know, polish them up a little bit. But they look worn, you know. So there was decisions we made to keep it looking kind of rustic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are, did y'all do any foraged uh, desserts? I know you'll have the cedar sorbet. Yeah, so we do some interesting ones. We do um, pawpaws. It's one of our, I think it's our only tropical tasting fruit. Um, so we've done like pawpaw ice cream, some kind of frozen mousse mm. with pawpaw. We've made cocktails. Uh, we did the pawpaw colada with coconut milk. Oh, oh man, nice. Nice. Really, one of those. Really, yeah, we're hoping that if we can find some ripe ones this week, we're going to make make some of those. They're we good. should have. It should be getting um, pretty close. close. So yeah, any kind of wild berries that are in season. Um uh, uh, spruce tips. Have you ever seen those? I've seen you Guys use those a lot. Yeah, they're Very kind of neat when the spruce tree in the spring is um, uh, starting to grow. It sprouts like little tips that are that are more of like a light green, and they're really soft. Uh, and you can blend them up with sugar, and it gives that like a citrusy, lemony spruce flavor mm-hmm. into the sugar. Um, so we use that a little bit. Um, sumac, staghorn sumac we use in desserts. We can put that in in uh, ice creams or make lemonade or we use those in cocktails in the bar a lot. Um, so yeah, we, we try and incorporate a little bit of the wild uh, into everything we do, the cocktails, desserts. And there was a cedar cocktail too. It's literally a Christmas tree in a, in a glass circle, some cedar leaves and a yeah. mason jar full of gin. Come on week with or it. Week two, serve a drink <laughs> out of that. That might make the Christmas menu at Deer Camp this year. No doubt that's, about that's it. No one. doubt about it. Yeah. I know we got to get those uh, those those grilled duck hearts on there. Those things are amazing. <laughs> well, I was learning when we were uh, we were gathering chanterelles uh, yesterday, and I was learning about mushrooms. I didn't even know what they were looking around because I'm you know I'm I'm never gonna take a risk with mushrooms around here. I'm just like all right, I know what a chanterelle looks yeah, like. I know where they grow. Those, I'm yeah. picking those and I'm cooking with them. I know how to handle them. But I've never I don't get uh, experimental with some other stuff that I see right. out there and That's they're. Smart. Turkey, yeah, turkey tails. I didn't know that uh, turkey tail was so common. I see them all the time. Just didn't know what they were. That they had medicinal uses. People sell them as supplements, even. And, yeah, I, I knew Michael knew his stuff when I saw a post where he was cooking with uh, Amanita uh, Jacksonii, which just about every other species in that Amanita genus, if you eat it, uh, deadly. It could be deadly, or yeah. it could just make you incredibly drunk. Yeah. Um, mm. Except that one species, and I was like, "That guy's crazy." And it doesn't even look <laughs> like you should be eating it. It's this right. big, bright red rocket-looking thing, and uh, yeah, the, the way they grow too, it almost like they're coming out of a ground. They ground like a dinosaur egg, and they're like they pop out of this veil, yeah. and they're just totally bizarre-looking things, um, and they're really, really tasty. And yeah. so you walked up on one and said, "I'm gonna take that back to the <laughs> well." So that was actually at Jody's cottage. So my, my business partner's cottage, they were all over uh, his property. And I, I got out my mushroom books and, you know, researching on the Internet and all this stuff. And, and there's a bunch of ways to identify them. Um, another one, you can do a spore print, which is kind of cool. You cut the mushroom, put it on a piece of white paper and put a, a glass over top of it. And the mushroom will actually spore out and leave a print on the paper. What? Um, 
It's called, yeah, mushrooms. Dudley, you've never told me this. Uh, um, well, so you can actually see this print, but you can you can um, identify uh, the color. Some of the mushrooms have like a brown spore print. Some are pink. Uh, so it's just a, like another identification tool. Uh, so I think we did we did a spore print. I researched the heck out of it, um, and then yeah, I was a little nervous eating at first, but I was you know ninety nine point nine 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 percent confident. <laughs> I, <was gonna> die. <laughs> I didn't uh, think I was going to die, uh, which was a little risky. You yeah. know, there's um, there's a saying that goes. Uh, there are uh, adventurous mushroom eaters and old mushroom eaters, but there are no <laughs> old adventurous <laughs> right. mushroom eaters or pickers or something like that. Um, so yeah, so that's how I, you know, just just, just discovered those, and um, they were really really delicious. Have you ever taught any classes on foraging, or, or you know, I I I still don't consider myself an expert at it. Yeah. You know, like. I think maybe I know more than the average person, um, but that's not what I studied in you know university or college. Like, right. I am a professional trained chef, and that's my specialty. And um, you know, a lot of the mushrooms that I go and find are because I w- I can buy them. Mm-hmm. So you know, I have specific foragers that I buy from, and I can actually hold a chanterelle or a trumpet mushroom or this or that, and I can study it, look at it, do the spore right. prints, read my books, and then I can read about the habitat, the season, and then go to the woods and and try and find them. Um, uh, so that's what I do, but I, you know, my ecology is such a vast, uh, field that I don't, uh, I, I don't want to be liable for sure, that stuff. Sure, sure. I wouldn't believe how, how people, how crazy people are like total strangers message me photos of mushrooms. Can I eat these? I'm, like, well, I'm a total yeah. stranger, man. Yeah. You're trusting me with your life here. Like, I don't know. It's a picture. Number one, like there's so many you know, Variable, variables. Here. Right. It's, it's funny. Please like, please stop messaging me photos of mushrooms. I'm not going to answer you. But we were, we were walking out to the unspecified location, honey hole for the chanterelles. And there were a couple of little tiny ones that looked like they started growing in the morning. And, I didn't even notice them. Michael points them out. I was like, oh, here's some chanterelles. And I'm just waiting to get to the, you know, the secret spot where it looks like a garden of chanterelles. And we walk a little further and he's like, if you remember the double rainbow video, that was Michael when he saw as literally as far as you can see, it looks like gold. We planted chanterelles as wildflowers. Yeah. It was, oh my gosh. Holy cow. I'm chillbuffs. It is the year of the chanterelle in Clay County. I'm going to tell you right now. And they were, you know, we've been going to the same spot. Y'all all know because y'all have been back there, but. They were, even versus a month ago, we had a lot. They were a little more spread out and a little bigger, but I've never seen them this dense. I mean, it would literally looked like flowers in a garden. They were yeah, it's like everywhere, and they were so close. I, I, like, I picked a lot of mushrooms before, and it took a lot longer, and you walked a lot farther to pick that many. And it was like just the concentration. like It was like a 1,000 in a 100-square-foot. It's just orange so, on the ground. It, it's completely wild. overlooked here in Mississippi. Is you know? there a... Is there a tip to the way you do? You just pluck it? Do you cut it? Do you- I prefer to cut it because you don't get any dirt in your basket. So you know, there's a controversy controversy about you know cutting them versus pulling them and damaging the root or whatever. But I, you know, I like to cut them just because of the, the cleanliness factor. And then what? What do you yeah. do? You, how long do you have before you can wash them or clean them up? Is there what are the um, Yeah, I try and get them in the fridge as soon as possible. Like if it's really really hot, like the summer here. Uh, and if you've got a long drive or something, I would have a nice box in the truck bed with some ice in it, maybe. But, mm-hmm. So, um, what's you know. the footprint of these things? Are they are they from Florida to Toronto, or do y'all know? Um, that I, I'd have to check my my book for. Like, there definitely are kind of regions um, where they are, but you know, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't, I don't know the specific answer to that. Yeah, the dominant one here is the 
uh, I, the name escapes me right now, but there's another species called a cinnabar yeah. chanterelle they're that's a orange. lot more orange. They're neat. Uh, oftentimes around here, they're a little smaller, but yeah. we, we get the, the standard one. Yeah, uh, there's, and then, yeah there's a few different varieties, and they're all you know Latin names. And Mac, why don't you get on the internet and see if you can look that up? I'm already doing it. Chanterelle uh, species. There's yellowfoot chanterelles. There's bluefoot chanterelles too, I think. And then there's a well, those black trumpets. Black I, trumpets. I think are either relate. I don't know yeah. if they're in the they're same genus. They're a or, vase shape kind of. Yeah. They have a. Uh, I don't think they have the gills, but they're sort of the same similar vase shape. And then yeah. around here, there's one called a jack o' lantern that uh, is, can you know can confuse people. Yeah. Uh, if you know what you're looking for, it's really. Yeah. So chanterelles come out of the dirt and then uh, jack-o'-lanterns are usually growing out of dead wood. Yeah. So hmm. even if there's like kind of a dead stick on the ground or like a dead stump, they'll be out of there. So stay away from those. And then I've been told, uh, I know of people that have collected chanterelles around conifers. Okay. And sometimes yep. that'll make, make folks sick. Um, and so, you know, usually you find them around hardwoods here. Yeah. Uh, See, in BC, where I pick them, we're picking them in conifer forests. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, uh, so it's like a lot with conifers. It seems like a lot of yes. spruce and yeah. elderberry neat, and all those kind of different flavoring things. Agent. It is a neat flavoring agent. It's so, one of the most unique ones I've ever ran into. Go ahead, Bobby. What is the one that's <laughs> called the chicken of the woods? That one is one of my absolute favorites. And that uh, also grows on um, dead or decaying wood. Um, the genus and species and stuff, we'd have to look that up. But um, it starts out almost looking like slime on a tree. Uh, and I can go way back in my Instagram and send you guys a photo of this. But it, look, it looked like I found a real early one, and it was this big yellow slime on the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew what it was, so I waited. I went back a week, and then it will start to kind of like shelf out, almost like an oyster mushroom. Um, and they're very orangey yellow and like kind of white. But... Um, the, the older they get, the kind of more just pale orange they are. And then the bigger they get, the more tough and woody they are. Um, so there's a very small, like, week, two-week window when you can actually pick them and eat them. Uh, but they taste and have the same texture as, like, chicken nuggets. Mm. I, found a, wow. I found a big like dad. Chicken so nugget, good. Wow. So we, <laughs> you look at that thing got, and go, wow, yeah, I'll so eat it. You know, someone uh, contacted me last year with bags of them from their cottage. And we did uh, features for, I think, two or three weeks with them. And uh, we put them on uh, Chicken of the Woods nuggets. Ah. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite bar snacks we've ever done. That's yeah, well, I found one at the Mossy Oak Golf Course in the in the woods, you know, right outside the rough one day and cooked it up. It, it's good. It, yeah. it was getting a little bit old. And usually you can uh, cut the tips off yeah. of the shelf and it, and it works really good. And yeah. not to be confused with... Hen of the Woods, which is another mushroom. We should do a whole yeah. show on mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. So, I want to be part of that. we got to get a mycologist, though. What you going <laughs> on? So I want to learn. Find us a mycologist. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you this. Uh, have you – so you, you've cooked around wild game a long time. There's a lot of guys I hear them talk about, oh, my wife doesn't like this. It tastes yeah. a little gamey or something. There was a guy yeah. in here the other day that was saying this. Do you have a, a tip – that yep. a guy that could 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 help him g- expose his wife to this in a way that she's going to enjoy. Absolutely, it. buy my cookbook. There you go. It really is about you know cooking it, cooking it right. And um, I think a lot of people struggle with that. You know, wild game's a lot leaner than farm game, and it's, it can be a lot tougher than than, uh, than farmed meat. So. Um, 
I find that, you know, grinding it, making burgers, um, you know, not overcooking it. Cause when you, I think when you like things like deer, you overcook a deer steak and it has that iron livery taste. Um, so I think, you know, people are afraid of eating it raw cause it's wild and they think maybe they're going to get sick or something like that. Um, you know, which is true for things like bear or uh, wild hog uh, that could have, you know, trichinosis or parasites or stuff like that. But, um, you know, deer meat and duck and stuff like that is really beautiful, clean um, meat. And, you know, you want to eat that stuff like you would, uh, a, a, you know, a beefsteak kind of, you know, medium rare. Um, you know, there's some spice blends you can use. Uh, and I find like stewing something, if you like, you know, Jesse was talking about stroganoff the other day. Like if you take... Uh, some game meat and put it in a stew um, and cook it out properly, I find it loses a lot of that gamey flavor. You know, you make a pasta ragu or something with it. You know, we make bolognese at home for pasta. And, you know, by the time it's cooked for a couple hours, you don't know if it's beef or deer. Like mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, it loses a lot of that gamey flavor. Um, you know, but then I think there's also, uh, it should be noted that, you know, you got to make sure you're clean that deer properly. You don't nick the guts. 100%. Um, you know, the way you field dress it is really important. How fast you get it in the cooler is really important. Um, you know, because everybody that hunts a lot knows you nick the, the guts and it smells and tastes horrible. Sure. Right. So, um, you know, the field dressing is really important too, I think. What can you go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say the, I, everybody around here had always told me when I get to eat bear meat, it's not very good. You're not going to be a fan of it. The first yeah. bear meat I had, you made that bear curry. Yeah. And it was incredible. It's one of the best game oh dishes gosh. I've ever yeah. had. So bear really reminds me of uh, lamb mixed with beef almost. Um, and uh, I've actually had conversations with other friends and guys who used to be guides. And uh, other guides would get pissed off at them if they started cooking it at the camp because now the client's you know, now they want to process the meat and take it home. It just created more work for the guys. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's delicious. Uh, you know, I think uh, it has a bit of a bad rap um, because a lot of guys, they want to shoot the big old boar that's a monster and 600 pounds. Well, you know, long, long and short of it is those big, huge old boars are, you know, full of worms. And so there's mm. nothing wrong. You know, it's actually... I prefer to shoot, you know, 250 to 300 pound bears in around there. Um, they're a little bit younger. They're still, you know, maybe three, four years old. Um, but they're, they end up being a lot cleaner, you know, and because they're opportunists, they're scavengers. They'll eat a dead salmon on the side of the river uh, bank that could have worms. You know, they're eating whatever. Ho hopefully you're hunting in an area where there's no uh, dump nearby. Um, but, you know, a lot of guys do. So if they're eating from the dump, they're going to be full of worms. Um, so I think, you know, that's where the the kind of the bad idea of bear meat comes from. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, cooked properly, I think it's a really delicious meat. Pretty tasty. You I've ever had uh, canned deer meat? I have never had canned deer meat. We're going to have beaver. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've heard beaver is very similar to venison. Yeah. That's I've had delicious. barbecued beaver before. Yeah. Do they eat the tail? So, yeah, so that's what I had. I was going to bring that up. It's almost like bacon. The tail. There's a lot more fat on the outside and kind of some meat marbling on the inside. But um, my friend uh, uh, John in Toronto, John Horn, shout out to John Horn there. Um, his cousin is a trapper and we he invited me to a dinner he was doing where he did, um, I was cooking at it at, at his dinner and he, but he did uh, the bear, uh, beaver tail as a canopy and did it almost like a, like a cured lardo, uh, mm. which is like a pork, a cured. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of words I've never heard. Of. <laughs> I bet Lardo. Lardo's Italian. Yeah, so Lardo is Italian, and it's a cured pork back fat. Yeah, yeah. And they I just slice say. it, and it's white. I you just know? I made the Homer Simpsonese. Stripoline. They can put like Lardo on grilled peaches and. And torch it. And Speaking of lardo, don't y'all have like a big southern taster plate to? to, to yeah, yeah, we do, but uh, but we we do. But can I, I? There's one question I'm dying to ask. I, I'd love to let me ask Dude, that. Go ahead, right ahead, and then speaking of lardo, we'll get to it. But so, in your expert opinion, so if you're if you shoot a deer on the crown land that's yep. been grazing on just natural diet foraging its entire life versus one that was killed in an ag area where there was a lot of ag going on. Is that, is there a difference to the gaminess or the taste of that? I think so. Because where I'm also trying to go to is we hear a lot of people talk about how their deer tastes better if they've been eaten by a logic. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? That's right. Every one of them, everybody knows that. (laughs) I would like you to answer Absolutely. So uh, I have a friend that hunts in this area and it's all cornfields and these deer are like, you know, there's not marbling in the loin, but there is like a hefty chunk of fat on the back straps. Um, and where I hunt a little more north, uh, when I got that deer and opened it up, it's like full of cedar leaves. You know, there's snow on the ground. They've been eating cedar. Um, there's not that much, you know, not as much fat as his, uh, you know, corn raised deer. Um, so, yeah, I think there definitely is um, a noticeable difference uh, from eating deer that's, you know, way up north, you know, eating things like cedar and oak you know, acorns and things like that, just that it finds versus, you know, food plot deer or, or deer that's, you know, near an ag area. Or a corn feeder. Yeah. Mm. Bobby. Well, you, you would you would think that, <laughs> no, watch out, Lanny. If it's, if it's legal, it's legal. Oh, yeah. You know? No shame, man. I got no shame. <laughs> We're just trying to get our deer to stay around yeah, yeah, in our area. Right. You know? However you feed, whatever feeds the family, you know. Yeah. So, so look, we do have some sample uh, of Southern delicacies Bandy that we put Dudley together. Put a tray of Southern delicacies together. We wanted to see if you uh, would be willing to try some of this stuff. Oh, some absolutely. of it is, is I, delicious. So, my problem is I don't. There's nothing that I don't like. So, right. you know, mixed with gluttony. Yeah. So, um, Dudley, why don't you walk us through what yeah, we, we got to uh, explain the the Southern enlighten me here. Okay. Um, I think there's a can picture, that says okay. cheese something on it, which I'm very yeah, intrigued about. Here. Okay. So, uh, you know, we're big fans of Brian Foods around here. Yeah. Because uh, we're friends with the Brian family, uh, so we have some Brian Foods. Vienna sausages. Vienna. Are those uh, from Italy? Yeah. Vienna. <laughs> Vienna. Uh, I call them Vienna. Vienna. Yeah. Uh, this is my favorite public land tailgate food is a, a non-alcoholic beer and some Brian <laughs> Foods potted meat on a saltine cracker. Mm. Some hot sauce. Hot sauce. Shut your mouth. What um, kind of hot sauce? Uh, I, I like crystal hot sauce and I like Ty Tim's hot sauce. From our Mississippi uh, local, Red. local restaurant, Tyler. Mm. Great hot sauce. Um, so let's see. We've got some hoot cheese. Okay, explain. Uh, What's the hoot cheese? Hoot cheese H-O-O-P. is just a, uh, I would call it like a young cheddar. Just okay. easily, you know, quickly thrown together. We have a can of uh, easy cheese. I'm looking forward to yeah, that. Squirt cheese. I'm, I'm very um, much. That's a new. That's definitely new. Uh, we me. have some bold. <laughs> yeah. We have some bold peanuts. <laughs> Never Classic. had those either. Uh, we have some pickled okra. We have some pickled quail eggs. Ooh. Uh, pork rinds. I love pork cracklings. I love all that stuff. Uh, we have a pickled pig's foot. 
And we have some head cheese, also called sauce. Sauce. I've never heard of sauce. And some sweet tea. Yeah. You, there's a I fancy have, name for head cheese. That's the English kind of term for it. But <laughs> yeah. English, I mean Britain term for it. So but, uh, um, I've also. never had a pig food before. Have you? These are yeah. also this. called uh, trotters. Okay. Trotters. Trotters. Yeah, and you can actually stuff them. You can you can um, debone the foot. Take the like ankle and the bone out, but sort of still leave the the hoof on there, um, and it's it's like very gelatinous, kind of like a tendon almost. Mm-hmm. And then you can mm-hmm. uh, you know, stuff it, <laughs> that's stuff really it, and delicious. you like sew it back up and uh, like braise it and yeah. then roast it. Yeah, they're delicious. So the only thing on this board I've never eaten is a pig's foot. I've had a pig lip before and yeah. uh, on a dare. And, awesome. Yeah, we uh, we all agreed to try. Me and Neil and Jack Jameson tried a pig's foot a long time ago, and it's the only thing on that board that I don't really have. <laughs> I don't have great memories of. But, yeah, I'll try to get him maybe I'm at a different point in my life. Uh, you just said pig lips. I ate moose lips in Russia at uh, my friend's restaurant that I was like blown away by. I thought that was cool, and I think it's a like an indigenous uh, dish as well. Uh, from North America too, so you got to fix them out. The easy cheese, yeah. So we've got different levels of human maturity in here. We got. I want to. I want to dig in here. Got my hoop cheese. I don't know. I got hoop cheese. The Vienna sausage is an absolute. That's a family classic because Papa uh, Brown Foods is the is the meat packing company. Michael, that Papa worked what should worked be, at for uh, the order of tasting here. Maybe the. the uh, Go with the bowl of peanuts. Uh, you, you, eat eat yeah, you eat the you eat the inside. You just open yeah, the shell and then eat the inside. Yeah. And actually, this is they're starting to grow a lot of peanuts around this yeah. area now. So there's some they're, they're love them too. And it's a it, but uh, is it a lagoon? You know, we could turn him loose in one of those fields in North Monroe County tonight. He could forage him some peanuts. Some peanuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so like a lagoon. Um, it almost tastes like were a little. They, were they spicy? The spice are just not just, just regular. Yeah, I haven't had. Where are the pickled quail eggs from? I haven't I had those. those. I've had pickled. I love pickled oh. eggs. So and quail eggs are. There's no stranger in there. Nice. All right. Okra. I love okra. Have you had Vienna sausage? Yes. That's what Papa, when we were kids, we would. That was the quintessential beer. Yeah, the age when he didn't have a dog, we would, me and Neil would retrieve uh, doves for him and he would give us Vienna sausage. (laughs) (laughs) Vienna, also, correction, capital of Austria. Oh, my bad. (laughs) Different country. The texture of these is soft. I'm curious now. I want to know where. What the Vienna connection to the sausage is, because it this seems a, like a very Mississippi thing. This is a great platter here. Guys. Yeah, I need to try. Okay, that is what is eating there. That is the sauce. Hogshead cheese. So what's the name sauce? I've never heard that. It's that. a very uh, Louisiana, uh, South Louisiana uh, food. You can get them in gas stations, uh, meat markets. Uh, you find it a, a lot in, uh, throughout Louisiana. I mean, it's it's a terrine made with scraps. A, a terrine. A terrine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was one of my trivia questions for you, so mm-hmm. we'll just knock that out. I hope you guys got some photos of this because I'm going to smash it. Yeah, smash it down. <laughs> it's so good. Um, All right. I, I want to try, try this head those, cheese. Those are, those are fresh uh, microwave pork rinds. There. So what, what's in the uh, ramekin right here? Uh, that's potted meat. Potted meat. All right. I'm doing the pork rind potted meat. Oh, cheese whiz. <laughs> He's cheese. killing it. Hold the cheese thing. So Michael loading that up, the, his, his favorite spot to uh, eat when he comes back down here is Waffle House because they don't have it in Canada. And, you know, when me, Neil, and Jack Jameson lived together, Vandy there before me, we would always, since it's right by our house, we always go to Waffle House. And Jack is the only friend we have that always gets the, not always, but for special occasions, he gets the hash browns all the way, you know. Yeah. Every topping they have right, scattered, right. smothered, covered, and then they put chili and gravy on top of it. I mean, it's 
It's a meal. <laughs> uh, yeah. It is a dish. Michael, first time he came to Waffle House, he decided to get the all the way hash browns. So he had a heck of an introduction to Waffle House. <laughs> yeah. Michael just took three big bites of a pig foot. Yeah. He is, he's going Waffle House method of topping these crackers. All right, so there's, these are cracklings in the back, and those are pork rinds. These are pork rinds. You ever had cracklings before? I have. Yeah. So just now, to kind of – cheese is legendary. Kind of narrate <laughs> here, Michael has gotten up from his chair, and he's pretty much knocked a dent in the in this board. I can't pronounce what kind of board it is, but it's got all this good food on it. I don't know if this qualifies for a charcuterie board. I think it's, I like what I you think we, it's a southern I think we can give it a redneck custom name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Hopefully, y'all got a picture of it. That pig foot's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Pretty tasty. All right. So, why don't we, Michael, why don't you, there you go. Why don't you sit down? Dudley has prepared some questions for you. We we like to ask trivia to our guests and try to have a little fun. But before he does that, I brought you one more thing. I tried to think of what was a, would be a really good Southern experience for you. Okay. Wait, he didn't have the sweet tea. And, uh, All right. Well, you got to watch, you gotta watch it down. Yeah, and you were, you were distracted, but you got to... Contrast this with the antler charcuterie board. What do y'all have on that? This is uh, equally as satisfying as an antler charcuterie board, I must say. (laughs) So, the one last one I have for you is a six-ounce Coca-Cola and some salted peanuts. And the thing that you do, you're going to drop a few peanuts in this (laughs) Coca-Cola and drink them and eat them at the same time. (laughs) And that's about as southern as it gets right there. That is. I love it. Is it going to explode like a Mentos? Is this a joke? No, no, no. Did you take it to a place? Wow. Thank you very much. Yeah, I got y'all all all one. Man, I'm going to be knocking fire up in there and drink a Coke. That is a very nice thing. Yeah. (laughs) It does look good. Um, That pig's foot has like a pickled taste to it. I think it's the same juice they use for pickled eggs. Yeah, it's, it's tasty. I'm gonna have to try it. Okay, so I have to put peanuts in the Coke. In the Coke, yep. I've never we've had my, so Michael at the cabin. You know, we've had all the all the game and Mississippi Forge things that we can have, and now we're giving him the ultimate Mississippi gas station. <laughs> yeah, 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 nothing, <laughs> nothing wild about that. Cholesterol is gonna skyrocket after you. I bet probably thirty percent of my teachers in in junior high and high school drank. Cokes with peanuts in them. Yeah. I've never heard of that. That's yeah. the most bizarre thing. Very southern. Well, I've they, never heard. They think it started many, many, many years ago, but the 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 blue collar workers would go into the little store and their hands would be dirty. And they would put the so instead of getting the peanuts dirty, they'd put the peanuts in the coke and then drink them like huh. that. That's what I always heard. I think we should put out a, a picture of the board on GameKeeper social media. And now I want to hear what if you were making a redneck charcuterie board, a gas station charcuterie board, what would go on it? That'd be a killer post. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, we're missing a, key, a very key thing we're missing here is Flaming Hot Cheetos. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Stage planks. We can get we can get Jeff Lindsay to ask the same question. And we we, could. we'll be able to we'll, we'll we'll have a March Madness of uh, gas station snacks going on yeah, before. That's good. Uh, we know it. So Dudley, you want to start asking him All right, so, a um, question? Let's see how he does. The first question I had, which we've already answered, is what congealed culinary preparation is the proper term that Southerners often refer to as souse or head cheese? Um, and it's it's a terrain, you know. So yes. ding, ding. You said terrain earlier. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you, so you asked and answered Well, he, he answered it a minute ago. Okay. So. Okay. Well, okay. Um, this, is the, this is the tough How do you pronounce niche in, in American niche 
<laughs> we killed that one. Okay. In American. <laughs> How many ounces, that's volume ounces, are in a gallon? That I, I couldn't tell you, but I know it's 3.78 liters. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, and I think there's 28 liquid ounces in a liter. So we have to do some quick math, math divide by pack, carry right. the two. Yeah. Well, it's 128 ounces in a gallon. Thank you. All right. Um, what is Daniel Hayes' middle name? <laughs> Ooh. Fox? Yeah! What, what, is, what is Neil Hayes' first name? Toxie. Hey, killing it. What is Vandy Stubbs' middle name? I don't know that. It's a tough one. All right, it's Tankersley. What is it? Tankersley. 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 Yeah. That makes sense when Neil wished you have a birthday on the face of Tank. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so what do you call the part of the mushroom that, that is in the soil under the ground? Um, There's a few different answers for that. I know the mushroom itself gives off spores, so I don't think it's a spore. Um, and you're not a mycologist either. I'm not. A, I, but I know this from my reading, and I, I'm blanking. Okay. Uh, either the mycelial mat or yeah. the mycorrhiza or the hyphae or the yeah, mycelia or the fungal uh, mat. Yeah. yeah. Oh my okay. God. Interesting. So, Landon, that's did you know that? I don't know any of those. I mean, I know <laughs> that's, 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 hard, that's a hard word to remember. <laughs> okay, I just, just want to say here that the salty peanuts, uh, eating the salty peanuts that are coming out of this Coke with the sugar is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You Man, he, right he is a Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind yeah. of Does it qualify as beautiful? <laughs> I wouldn't go so far to say beautiful, <laughs> but it's like a nice, salty, sweet. Cheers, y'all. Cheers, y'all. Yeah. There we go. Cheers, all y'all. <laughs> so what else have we got? Michael, I'm having such a good time. Just what should talking. we be asking you? You know what? Uh, um, what? what I want to know what. Uh, I want to know what your your favorite thing is to forage. If you have a one yeah. of your favorites, um, I think my favorite foraging um, is uh, morel mushrooms. Okay. And, um, they're one of my favorites. It, you know, chanterelles are, you know, late summer, fall. Um, chant- uh, morels come out uh, in the springtime. And so it's just kind of fun. You know, turkey hunting, you will stumble upon morels. Um, and just where I find them, they, I just find they taste like the forest. It's a really unique flavor. The ones I find are the black morel, um, which are a little bit different in flavor, I think, than the. Um, what do we have? The white and uh, kind of gold ones. We don't have very many. I'm pretty sure we have two. Ours aren't black, though, are they? The The black ones, they actually grow in the conifer forest, which are are really nice. Ours are more tan looking. And then we have, I think we've got another species that's a little bit smaller and maybe lighter colored. But uh, I've got a spot at my farm uh, in Holmes County, Mississippi. But there's not many good spots around here. That's the only morale spot I've heard of. There's really good years. Well, I'll, I'll find, find like three to five pounds, which is not a lot. Um, and then there's years where I'll, I'll find like two or three in my spots, which is a little heartbreaking. But I think that's why I like it so much because it makes it that much more special. Um, yeah, when you find them. When you, when, you, when you actually do find them. But it's a bit of a love-hate relationship sometimes. What about ramps? They're one of my yeah favorites, too. They're actually like the first thing to pop out of the ground when the snow melts. Um, so when I'm making maple syrup is right around that time. The snow is melting, and then when the snow is gone, the ramps are the first thing out of the leaves. What is a ramp? It's some kind of allium uh, or, you know, onion family 
Okay. It's wild. It, it tastes, uh, people call it um, garlic onions too. Okay. Um, or um, Canadians seem to call them wild leeks. And then in the States, you guys call them ramps. We, we call uh, them ramps too, but the, a lot of people say wild I leeks. I think we're just out of their range, but I'd, I'd love to, I mean, maybe even there, try to grow some. Yeah. Yeah. You can actually, there's websites where I found you can buy seeds. I've never tried it. Um, but the, the, the kind of crappy thing about ramps is that when you pull the bulb, they don't grow back. So, and then it's like a seven year life cycle from the seed to actually grow into a plant where it can seed again. Um, so places like the province of Quebec, they've actually banned foraging them because they've decimated depleted them. them. Yeah. They depleted mm-hmm. them so much. Um, and I know that some states are now requiring permits and things like that. So make sure you research that one before you start ripping them out of the ground. Good answer. I, I think social media has made all these people so many more people learn about all this stuff yep. you know all at once and, and it's exciting and that's it is oh, and it it's is fun and, uh, but it can become a problem yeah so, so you know conservation I think is top of mind every stuff time. like ramps yeah very cool and fiddleheads too and I, I'm very guilty of this I went and was cutting down all the uh, fronds of fiddleheads uh, which is a, it's a fern that unfolds you know um, and I think there's like seven to nine like fronds of the fern plant and you're only supposed to take like three or that dies. And I cut a whole bunch one year before I actually knew. So well, you didn't know. Well, yeah. now, you know. Now, now, you know, now, you know, so what? I'm guilty of it. It's not, uh, you know, I did the same thing when I was a kid. And I, th- I think some of those species you're not supposed to eat. Yes. The ferns. Yes. So yeah. you, you have to know your species. And I just yeah. went out one time and cooked them and, I thought it was cool. They tasted like asparagus. You know, my dad yeah. was still deer hunting. I, I could never sit on the stand long enough. But I know all about I found that. a bunch of <laughs> garlic and butter, and they were awesome, and I've yeah. never done it since. So but. it's the ostrich fern is the name of the fern you're supposed you're looking to looking for? Because the other ones, apparently, they have some carcinogenic properties. Oh. Maybe that's what's wrong with me. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what else do we need to be asking for us to learn? But Yeah. Where can they get your book? Okay, so um, thehunterchef.com uh, is my website. You can buy it directly from me from the from the store page. Uh, we sign them all and ship them out of Antler. Nice. Um, if you want it, you know, next day delivery, uh, Amazon, Chapters, Indigo, that kind of thing. But uh, we are shipping from uh, Toronto signed copies, and I think it's only that'll be the only one to have is a signed yeah, copy. Why don't you want anything else? Um, yeah, and we ship it. We're pretty quick about it. So. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you want to learn more about Michael, there's a story he's probably sick of telling. That, <laughs> yeah. uh, Everybody knows in this room, but for uh, for the listeners, um, uh, which we, we kind of touched upon earlier. Yeah, you got the foreshadowing uh, before. Yeah, Those restaurant my, guys were right. <laughs> yes. The, the restaurant guys were very right about the PETA protesters. Um, we have a chalkboard sign that we advertise, you know, specials and stuff like that on, on the sidewalk. And um, we're very playful with some of our neighbors sometimes. We, I think we wrote, you know, I think we, our burger was voted like, you know, top five in the city or something or number one or something. And uh, so we wrote, you know, Toronto's best burger. And then our neighbors started kind of taking the piss and wrote, you know, Toronto's second best burger. And like, <laughs> we were playing back and forth with each other. And then somebody wrote, there's two staff at my restaurant. We haven't pinpointed who was it, uh, who actually <laughs> wrote this, but it was uh, venison is the new kale they yeah. wrote on the chalkboard. And it infuriated a vegan cyclist that biked by. And she was part of a group or organizer of a group called Grassroots. And they protest uh, slaughterhouses in, in the city. And so they've got a, a group of animal activists. And they started showing up at my restaurant every Thursday. 
And uh, they'd bring a megaphone and horrible pictures blown up into posters and they were yelling at our guests. And um, it was uh, extremely frustrating, uh, hurtful. Did they not get a look at you? Yeah. Well, they just don't care, you know. They and uh, you know, I think you may may even serve a few vegan dishes yeah. from well, time to time. That's the thing. Right? So, you know, at Antler, we had a few. Uh, we had like a wild rice and mushroom vegan dish at the mm-hmm. time uh, because we want to. You know, we want to welcome everybody into our home. Um, you know, we. Uh, my, you know, my, my, uh, I'm Christian. My business partner is Jewish. Uh, his wife's Japanese. Uh, my wife is a uh, family from the Philippines. Like we're a very multicultural city. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you have a halal diet, a kosher diet, if you're vegan, you know, everyone's welcome. You know, we don't care sure. about any of that stuff. So it was, it was pretty hurtful to us that these people targeted our restaurant. Um, and, uh, and they were just relentless. They were taking photos of our family, my family specifically, putting them online saying, oh, um, and we, we were working very closely with the police to make sure that we were safe and that our customers were safe. Um, and I would just leave when they, uh, they were coming cause I knew I was going to do something stupid. <laughs> and, uh, and this went on for like three months, once a week. And, uh, I had to be there one night. Somebody was scheduled the night off. I had to cook that night and I saw a, a couple coming in through the door and the woman looked like she was going to cry. Uh, and p- people were screaming at her with a megaphone. And uh, that's, I just snapped. I just said, I can't take this anymore. Uh, we get our deer delivered once a week. We get a whole deer. Um, it comes in, it, the whole thing is like shrink wrapped. It's kind of neat looking. So <laughs> I went down to the fridge, cut off the whole hind quarterback leg. And uh, just figured I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this in the window in front of them to, that's like, a, you get them back. Right. Um, and uh, they filmed it. They actually called the police and said that I was breaking health laws, which I wasn't. Um, and so the police came to talk to me, talk to me and the, the woman's uncle was a, her family were hunters. So she had a good laugh and we laughed um, and they filmed me um, cutting this, you know, basically breaking down a hindquarter yeah. in the window for them. Um, and they, they were saying things like he's taunting us and people were walking by saying, well, you're protesting his restaurant. Like yeah. he, what he, do you expect? Turnaround's fair play. Yeah. Right. And, uh, I went back to the kitchen, cooked a piece, and then came back and ate it in the window in front of them. <laughs> and uh, they filmed this whole this thing. <laughs> and they put this on all of their vegan websites. And that was a Thursday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we were getting hammered online from all these vegan trolls from all over the world. And, you know, calling us, harassing us on the phone, giving us one-star reviews on Google and Facebook and everywhere you could rate us online. And we thought I had screwed us. And... Then Monday, uh, we noticed our restaurant story of what was happening came up on like Apple News on your iPhone Mm -hmm. and uh, mainstream media picked it up and it just went viral. The story exploded. Um, You know, you guys heard about it down here before I even told you. (laughs) Colin, you know, the Washington um, Post or somebody. Washington Post, People Magazine, uh, you know, every media outlet. And I'll add everyone in defense of Michael, because for all the terrible uh, that happens through social media, it seems that sometimes when a good guy's, you know, people are attacking somebody for the wrong reasons or somebody's good, sometimes the they person comes out on top. Yeah. Michael came <laughs> out on top in this We were a situation. success story in, in this instance. And, uh, yeah, it just was crazy. And this lasted for 11 months. Once a week they'd come. It got to, the, like, when it first started, there was seven or eight, you know, nut jobs outside with signs. And it turned into hundreds of people outside, news crews. Um, there were stories getting sent to us from 
uh, Moscow, uh, Britain, France, um, Italy, uh, articles from South Africa, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, people were sending us articles from all over the world about this story. Um, the video itself was up to 25 million views on the yeah. Daily Mail Facebook page. Oh, you know, that's, that's where I saw it was Daily Mail. Yeah. My boys at Daily Mail, look at this. Yeah, I remember my wife was like, look at this. Yeah, and I, yeah. I looked at it, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Michael. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was funny. And then, like the, the things people would say, you know, like I was worried about this. They said, you know, meteors run the world. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're going to be okay. Um, so I guess uh, reservations might have picked up. We exploded and it was, you know, and that created its own problems. You know, you go from, we're a 45 seat restaurant, you know, we go from doing 25 to 35,000 a week in sales yeah. to then all of a sudden doing double that. Right. So it creates like staffing problems, supply problems. You know, I work directly with a lot of farmers. Um, so now all of a sudden I need twice as much, you know, food from them and that create, it's, it created uh, just supply a slew chain of problems. Issues, yeah. Um, but you know, it was, uh, it was all good stuff. The support from, you know, our community and the, the global community was huge. And, uh, you know, we're very grateful for that. That's a great story. It is a great and story. It was cool too, because a lot of people's first exposure to Michael as the hunter chef or whatever was after the story came out, you know, cause he went on the Rogan experience, everybody that hadn't already seen it, a lot of people saw it then, but we'd already been friends with Michael for years. He'd been in Mississippi a few times. So <laughs> it was kind of funny that a lot of people got introduced to him after that and would probably assume that any kind of you know, hunting company saw him and reached out to him, but no, it was sure. awesome that he was doing his own thing at the restaurant. We were previously friends just because we're like-minded and he was coming down here and hanging and uh, yeah. everything worked out after that. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that really is a good story. I'm, gl- story. I'm glad you told it. I'm glad it Thank worked you. out yeah. like no, that. No, it did work out well. Well, yeah, me and, me and Neil FaceTimed him from the office. We were like, dude, I just saw you on the news. What's going on? He's like, it's crazy. The bar's already full. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was mayhem. It was mayhem. Yeah, that that's awesome. So, but the and the, but the last thing on that, the good thing is that it wasn't undeserved uh, positive media coverage he was getting, and you know it wasn't uh, it wasn't a fifteen minutes of fame kind of thing because obviously Michael's legit. It's one of the best restaurants in Canada, and yeah, so y'all you know y'all sustained the popularity. Thank you. And it was well deserved. So it's, it's, it's right. I, I like I like to say yeah. that because a lot of stories like that happen. You get fifteen minutes of fame and then you fizzle out, but. Deservingly so, Antlers got a lot of praise well after that story kind of went out of the news cycle. Good stuff. So, guys, what have we learned from Michael today? I've learned that he likes good food. Yeah. <laughs> Insurance liability is too high to get mushroom recommendations. Yeah, that's right. Instagram DMs. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned there's uh, there's turkeys in Canada. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, oh, Canada. Yeah, I think they just recently opened a season in New Brunswick, too. Oh, well, which there's controversy. One at a time. I'm thinking about trading some turkeys for a moose. So yeah, well, the story is people are saying that they ran across the border and like threw them across the river or something from from the states. That's <laughs> quite possible. Some controversy yeah. here. Yeah. Well, I'm a, you know Canada. We've hunted up there a lot. Duck hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some deer hunting in Saskatchewan, that part of the world. I've been to Newfoundland a couple of times. So Canada is. We uh, you know uh, what the very first. Hunt in the Country television show we filmed in Canada with Jack Hume Adventures. Toxic killed a big caribou. Cuz killed a big caribou. Wow. So, I mean, Canada's cool. figured into what we do a lot. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and I mean, if any any hunter, if you ever have a reason that you're traveling through Toronto or whatever, it's a, in my opinion, after being there, it's a bucket list dinner for any hunter. So, if, you ever, if you're ever traveling through uh, Toronto or you have family members traveling through Toronto, I love, because we have plenty of cities where we always know people that are traveling for work but not a lot that are traveling to Toronto for work so I get so excited anytime I can 
send a friend, whether it's an old college buddy yeah. or whatever, if I can send someone to Antler, I know they're going to love it and it's going to knock their socks off. So, yeah. yeah, anybody that has an excuse to go there, it is well worth making it on your food bucket list. Yeah. Well, let's, let's well, make, make sure they do that. And, and for those that can't travel up there, the cookbook is the next best thing. I would no question about thank it. You. So, yeah, we, we can, uh, we'll get the word out about that and help you with, with that. So, look, we're, it's obvious how proud of you, Mal, the, the, I'm going to say Malcio in general, is, that's right. is of you. And so congratulations on your well, success you. and what you got going on. We expect more, bigger and better things. Lots and, to come. We yeah. got lots to come. We're yeah, working right. on uh, working on book number two. It's a couple of years out, but um, you know, working on working on that one. And, you got uh, to work on that out. That it's out. <laughs> <laughs> out. Out in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, look. When we, we, we have in Georgia, Vandy, thank you for putting all this uh, this board together and with all that stuff. And, and Michael, what was your favorite out of all that? What would you say? I'm gonna have to say the the pork rinds with the uh, what's the meat dip. Pot of meat with the easy cheese combination. Ah, yeah, that's awesome. That's Could that make its way to the <laughs> antler menu? I don't some think point? so. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that good. <laughs> well, people expect us to make things at house. Though, so <laughs> if we made our own whipped cheese. <laughs> maybe can, maybe your version can of whipped cheese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I want to put my own spin on it for sure. Yeah. That's, That's good. Well, I know you've cooked grits, so you've yeah. got a big, huge uh, bonus. Yeah, grits on the menu for it, quite a while. Yeah, all yeah. right. Read, read that and, and there's a recipe in the book for them. So. Nice. Well, that's awesome. Smoke well, look, we, we've been talking a long time. We've probably put a lot of people to sleep, but we know they've enjoyed listening to your story and learning about what all you've done. It's, it's been fascinating. So does anybody else have anything that we need to cover? We want to make sure everybody watches the television show on Tuesday nights. Yep. And, uh, and and thank you all for listening to this podcast and everybody at Mall Show. We want to thank Toxie for letting us do this. I think this is episode number 50. We've and done 50 then? I think wow. so. Wow. That's We've never awesome. done 50 of anything. We, every time we come in here, we expect that somebody's going to walk through the door and say, all right, that's pull it. Pull the plug. Pull the plug. So, so we've done 50 of these. It's been a lot of fun. So th- I want to thank the audience for listening. And uh, we, if there's not anything else, we'll say goodbye, Dudley. Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac Mac. Guys, thanks for having me. This yes, awesome. sir. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.